And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I am joined today as always by the Athletic Senior Writer, Chris Vanini. Chris, hello. Good to be here. I have just walked in the door of my home after a trip to Oregon this week. So I'm fresh off, not the boat, but the plane, and ready to talk some college football. Interesting, because I think there are some interesting storylines happening in the state of Oregon. So I think we will definitely need to get into that a little bit later in the show. Um, As a reminder, the Andy Staples show and Friends feed is fully in action as we are deep, deep into the season. You can find Max Olson, Sam Kahn, more of our pals on this feed throughout the week. I'll be joining Andy and Ari for the Friday preview show like I always do. We will be picking games, so be sure to tune in for that on this feed later in the week. I'm sure there will be some ridiculous antics. But before we get to those shenanigans, I'm excited to bring you today's episode of Power Hour. We break down everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less. And if you're a little thirsty... Because of the names of the different segments, we'll just grab a cold one and enjoy it while we chat. This week's show starts, as always, with the Power Five. In true Power Hour fashion, we give ourselves about a minute to cover one of the hottest topics in college football before the buzzer sounds, and it is time to move on to the next topic. Chris, I will give you the honors. Get us started here. Number one, Eli Drinkwitz, the head coach at Missouri, has received a two-year extension and a raise from $4 million to $6 million. His buyout, since those things matter in these situations, are six, uh, currently starting at $6 million plus 75% of the remaining uh, contract. You may be wondering, what did Eli Drinkwitz do to deserve such a hefty 50% raise uh, in his contract? Well, he's 15-17 and 17 at Missouri. He's 4-5 and five this year, 2-4 and four in the conference. I'm confused by this one. Uh, Missouri made some comments about how basically he's still at the bottom or near the bottom of the SEC in pay, and this is essentially getting him rising boats, rising tides lift the boats of salaries, I guess. I don't know, Nicole. What do you make of this? Yeah, so uh, it was interesting. I was reading some quotes from Eli himself, which you can't fault the guy who's getting the, the extra money here. This is on Missouri for rate, giving him the raise for, for doing this. And, and again, you, you have a huge buyout uh, no matter what you did here. So this is something that Eli said was because the SEC kind of reset the coaching market last year. Really, we saw some of these guaranteed contracts we saw different things and that led to you know georgia giving kirby smarter rate like we 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 saw some of this stuff and we know that josh heupel is going to get a bump in response to tennessee season this year as well but the thing is and this is what always bothers me about this broken system is that lots of coaches who have not accomplished the major things like winning a national championship are the ones that then also get bumps or come in to jobs without head coaching experience or very little and start at like the going rate in the SEC or whatever that is for experienced and successful head coaches. So this to me is just a symptom of a really broken system. Um, It reminds me a lot of that Scott Frost extension in 2019 Yes, when he hadn't done anything. And I just, I don't know why these schools are doing this when they're really not negotiating with anyone. This is not a hot commodity coach that a million people are trying to hire and you need to do this to keep them. I don't understand how this happens. Yes. It's the start of what's going to be probably once again, a ridiculous coaching carousel. Now the buyout is fully offset from whatever future job he would get if he was fired. That's important to note, but when the Auburn jobs open and you've got the Missouri coach making $6 million, 
kind of gives you a sense of where it's going, how much money the SEC has, and also how much money the SEC is going to be able to pay assistant coaches, which will trickle down to everybody else. And the assistant coaching uh, salary pool did go up in this deal as well. Number two, Grayson McCall is out for three to six weeks with a foot injury suffered against App State. Big news for Coastal Carolina and honestly one of the most fun players in college football. We've enjoyed watching him over the last few years. Coastal plays Southern Miss, Virginia, and JMU to close out the year. This is going to have potentially a major impact on the New Year's Six race. Um, and also, obviously, you know, the Sun Belt uh, just sort of leading into the conference championship game. Um, but this is just really a, a huge bummer. For him, obviously, he entered the game after the injury. Um, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do three to six weeks. Hopefully we get to see Grayson McCall again because it's just it's been an incredible career and Coastal's incredibly fun with him at quarterback. Yeah, they're eight and one again this year, not in the top 25. Uh, so they would need a couple things to happen in order to get to uh get in that New Year's Six conversation. They've all but clinched up the Sunbelt East at this point because they beat App State, but they've got Southern Miss, Virginia, and James Madison still to play. Three teams that may give Coastal some trouble, so something to watch. Yeah, and and obviously they'll be um, also just kind of rooting against Tulane here down the stretch as they are in a little bit of the driver's seat for that New Year's Six uh Spot. Yeah, you've got Tulane, you've got UCF also ranked. They're playing uh, each other. With two losses ahead of Coastal, yeah. and they play each other. So definitely something to watch. Number three, Conference USA has an, uh, not announced, but Conference USA has signed its new media rights deal. Uh, Sports Business Journal first reported, I was able to confirm, it's a five-year deal with ESPN and CBS. Uh, most notably, all of the October football games beginning next year are going to take place during the week. Let's go. Let's on, go. That, mean, that means games on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, maybe sometimes Thursdays, and Fridays. This was a big deal for Conference USA. The number one, I wrote a story about a month ago on the future of Conference USA as it relates to expansion, as it relates to the TV deal. And to toot my own horn a little bit, everything I wrote came true. I mentioned midweek games in, the, in that story. And basically the idea is by getting midweek games and by getting on ESPN and CBS, people are going to be able to watch Conference USA games again. Right now they're only on CBS. They're on Stadium. They had some games on Facebook in, in the end. It's really hard to just like, like when's the last time you watched a Conference USA game? It, 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 it's, it's hard. So this will be a lot easier to do it. And Maction, by the way, uh, which is actually going on as we're recording this. Maction only happens in November. So this is going to be in October. So we're going to get two full months now of midweek games. Yes, you love to see it. I was tweeting about this. So if we have any listeners who have a great idea for what to call it, we are we do have 11 months to figure this out of what we're going to hashtag the midweek CUSA games. Um, so far, uh, I like must CUSA as the like the must see games um so far that's my favorite but Ooh, that's actually not bad it, it's pretty good it's pretty good so um still working on that i was also able to uh confirm that each school in the conference usa will receive an annual payout around seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars uh under this deal so that's significant obviously it also comes with you know ncaa tournament units and also cfp money um, but it's a big deal. You know, we've covered a lot of these media rights negotiations at the Power Five level. They matter at these levels, especially when you're talking about visibility. Number four, I had a column on The Athletic this week about on-campus college football playoff games because we know we're getting them in the next iteration of the expanded playoff. And what was agreed, the proposal that was agreed upon said that they will be first round on campus games. And the way that that breaks down is that seeds five through eight, because seeds one through four have buys. So I was digging into this issue because I think it's interesting and I think it's actually an undercovered topic related to college football playoff expansion because we've all been so focused on, are they going to be able to do this for 2024? And we've talked about the Rose Bowl. We've talked about revenue sharing. Um, we've talked about uh, the revenue distributions. We've talked about... Um, the windows when they're going to play the games going up against the NFL, all those things, they're, they're, they're big issues. But really, this story was focused on 2026 onward. This is a entirely new contract. They're starting from scratch. And I can already see where this is going. We're going to love 
having campus games. We're going to love the environment Mm -hmm. from the first round of the expanded college football playoff. And then we're going to notice that the seeds one through four do not get to host games. So, yeah, of course they want the bye, and that's great. But if Georgia wins the SEC multiple years in a row, they're never going to get a game in Athens. You're going to see these incredible atmospheres everywhere else, and you're going to have Georgia fans being asked to travel to three specific different places for the quarters, the semis, and a national championship game where they do advance all the way through. Um, So I had Oklahoma Athletic Director Joe Castiglione tell me, quote, if you have first round and quarterfinals on the campuses of the higher seed, it would create incredible drama. I just think it would be epic and it would be very fan friendly. I had Clemson Athletic Director Graham Neff tell me that we've certainly experienced a lot of destination semifinals and national championships and our folks have stepped up. But we're talking about adding another round for a potential quarterfinal, another layer of travel and discretionary dollars and concerns about what we're asking our folks to do to have those experiences. These are very real, tangible issues that athletic directors are thinking about with this added layer. These are programs that have been part of the college football playoff, know what comes into it. Also got conference championship games, by the way, as well. These these folks also know the impact, the economic impact that home games have for their communities. There are just so many layers to this that just make total sense to have more games on campus. And they really need to think about that quarterfinal round. I know that they're trying to marry and weave in the bowl system, but bowls have never been this insignificant. They've not been this weak in this type of conversation because the last time they did this, when they set up the four-team college football playoff, it was 2012 and the bowls were different. You didn't have star players opting out of the Rose Bowl. You didn't have this idea of playoff or bust and it's a failure if you get to the Sugar Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl or whatever when they're not a semifinal. So we're in a different world and I just, I'm urging leaders to think about that and to think about what is best for the fan experience. It helps everyone on their campuses. Athletic directors want this and fans want this. And we just watched Tennessee go to Georgia. We watched Alabama go to Tennessee, Alabama at LSU. We're going to see Michigan go to Ohio State. We saw an incredible game in Salt Lake City. Like we've seen this over and over and over again this year. This is what makes college football special. So I really hope that they consider that for the totally new contract for 2026 on. Uh, This, while you were talking, this is 100% real. An athletic director actually just texted me, said, Nicole is spot on 100% with her (laughs) CFP expansion and the obstacles. That is 100% happened while you were talking about that. An AD reached out to say that... uh, this AD loved your column, so we'll I'll I'll explain that more off air. But uh, yeah, look, it's it's the Bulls are in a weird spot. They don't want to kick them to the curb. Can you kind of phase it out? I don't know. What is the Rose Bowl if it's not involving top twelve teams? You know, like it 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 is a tough spot for some of this stuff. But the point of like Georgia's maybe not the best example, but Alabama, you got fans got to go from Alabama to. Atlanta for the SEC championship game, uh, then somewhere for a, a second round game, semifinals. For, like, that's a lot of travel for fans. Like, we love the atmosphere of on campus games for the playoff, but there's a reason, like, the NFL doesn't play its entire playoffs on neutral right. sites like the Super Bowl right. because it doesn't make any sense. Nobody would do that. Just nobody would do it's, that. So, it's, it's the bowl executives who've been doing this forever and traditionalists and the idea of reaching a Rose Bowl, we just saw Ohio State have multiple star players opt out. It's not the same. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is not. But I do have to say, as someone who grew up in Big Ten country, that the idea that the Rose Bowl wouldn't be around or wouldn't matter quite as much does well, kind but of here, here's the thing. hurt me. I, honestly, I, don't, well, I mean, the, the, the solution is like the Rose Bowl. The, the national championship. Game, exactly, happen. exactly. That would solve <laughs> yes. all these problems. If you just had people tell people what to do, you just play every national championship at the Rose Bowl. And we just move on from there. But that's not happening. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hit me with number yep. five for the Power Five. Number five. Uh, let's talk a little Heisman real quick. I mean, we're we're in we're getting toward mid-November here, and uh, our latest um, athletic Heisman uh, staff poll: C.J. Stroud from Ohio State, still number one or back up to number one. I'm sorry, despite having a terrible game <laughs> at Northwestern. It was weird timing for him to now shoot up to number one. <laughs> look. He's not, he's not, he was not on my ballot yet. He's just, he hasn't, he's great. He's an amazing player, but there just has not been enough to sink your teeth into. It is what it is. He's also, for what it's worth, the uh, betting favorite in Vegas as well. Number two in Vegas, number two in, on, on our poll is Hendon Hooker from Tennessee, who didn't have a great game against Georgia, as is the case for many players. Mm-hmm. Uh, rounding out the top five were Drake May, North Carolina, Caleb Williams, USC, Max Duggan, at TCU, actually Blake Corum at number six, I mentioned because Blake Corum is actually third in the Vegas odds right now. So, uh, I we uh, to me we don't have a runaway winner. It, it feels like to me it should be wide open, but is yeah. this a situation where if Oklahoma's under, if Ohio State is goes to the championship game or goes to the playoff, that uh, that Strouch is going to win it, or do you think somebody else can can come and take it? Well, I think it's probably going to come down to the Michigan-Ohio State game. I mean, that's the game that got Aiden Hutchinson to New York, and it's going to be the most eyeballs on C.J. Stroud that we've seen this year. You know, he he did not play well against Northwestern, um, although he did have a big run, which we have not seen out of him. But there have been a lot of times where things have just been a little bit out of whack, um, you know, for him, especially in some short-yarded situations um, when they've had some turnovers in recent games. Ohio State's got some issues that they need to work out if they want to beat Michigan, if they want to get to the playoff in the first place. Um, But I just think that's the marquee game for him, and that's probably where it's decided. Um, I think Hendon Hooker and the numbers he's put up, everything he's done except against Georgia, probably gets him to New York at the very least. I mean, he's still going to be hanging around. And then, you know, Blake Corum's also going to be in that Michigan-Ohio State game. You know, you've got some of these high-profile opportunities. I mean, TCU keeps winning, and they get to the Big 12 championship game, right? Like, people will be watching. People will be paying attention. If Oregon keeps winning and Bo Nix keeps doing this, and I know we're going to get to that later in the show, but, like, there will be guys that are going to play their way in. I like that there are some West Coast guys in the mix here, Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, because, to me, that just speaks to the balance and the strength in the top half of the Pac-12 that we're seeing this year that is different and is keeping us engaged on the West Coast. I've been staying up until the end of that late night, the late games, because USC and UCLA have played a lot of them. And those guys are worth staying up for. DTR, Caleb Williams, um, you know, and Oregon's got a bunch of guys that are worth staying up for. But it's like, I just, I think all of that's healthy. I like that it's wide open. I think it sh- it feels wide open. Maybe Vegas doesn't think it is. But I think the way that our staff has voted and moved the votes around week to week, it's been very volatile, I think speaks to, it's it's not decided. And really, this was around the time last year, maybe a week ago, maybe 10 days ago, was when Kenny Pickett really came on the scene in the Heisman race mm-hmm. last year, mm-hmm. which feels like what we're seeing with Drake May, where people are, maybe they weren't paying super close attention to the ACC, and now here you have North Carolina inching closer to a Coastal Division championship, and everyone's like, holy cow, have you watched Drake May? Do you see these numbers? And it's getting him in the mix. All right. Yeah, he, he, Drake May is not going to win, but... Watch him if you can. You're going yes. to be seeing a lot of him in the coming years. Yes, and, and watch all these guys because again, I I think it's been it's a nice regionally balanced group of Heisman contenders. Max Duggan, by the way, also incredibly fun, great story. But TCU's comebacks have been a uh, topic of conversation, and he is the architect behind a lot of them. Um, so let's go right there in the happy hour segment where you talk about something that is good, something that we enjoy in college football. I am enjoying the course correction that is TCU in the college football playoff rankings this week because 
a week ago, all we heard, which again, I, I we had issues with at the time because we all thought TCU is too low and they were behind a one loss Alabama team. But all we heard from chairman Boo Corrigan was TCU's trailing in games. TCU needs comebacks. TCU basically TCU is not controlling the game and that they've had these comebacks, but eh, you know, they're, they're and, and it was the only team that was this was being held against. And they've had some dramatic ones. It's been very entertaining. All of a sudden, we see a course correction. We see that our peer pressure works. The public campaign that everyone had for TCU plus having Clemson and Alabama lose. Um, and, and Tennessee lost to Georgia. So all yes, you know, three teams sh- yes, three teams lost and they moved up three spots. Yeah. So they so they move up to number four. And suddenly Boo Corrigan is now talking about how they value wins and, t- and TCU just keeps winning and that they really show resilience and that they uh, they really lock down teams in the second half and all of the, the flip side of needing comebacks, which, by the way, they were trailing and they needed to come back and win. And they pull away at the end of these games. And this is how they've won these games the last few weeks. They win by double digits. Uh, they did all of that on Saturday. And now suddenly they're in the number four team in the country. But I will take it. I really didn't have any qualms with this week's rankings. So shout out to the Horn Frogs. We don't know how long this run is going to continue. We say this every week, but we're going to enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, you know this, but just to the listeners, don't take what the committee chair says uh, with any seriousness because it's really an impossible job to pretend that the committee fully agreed on the position of every team. They don't. The chair may not have even agreed with a certain team in a certain spot, but you got to come up with something to say it, and so you end up contradicting yourself week to week. TCU, seven-point underdog this week, going to Texas. So keep uh, watch that space. And also David Ubbin, our colleague, has a great story this week in The Athletic about TCU's incredibly weird, capital weird, social media team uh, producing all sorts of bizarre content that I think really fits the mood of TCU right now. TCU feels like, not like America's team, but it feels like the fun team that everybody wants they're, to get behind. They're like college football Twitter's team. Like, they're they're a weird mm-hmm. two-online team. Very. They're very online. They're very online. Okay, another happy hour topic, also related to the CFP rankings, but more so with what we saw on the field on Saturday. We are looking at a college football playoff that is likely going to take place without Clemson and Alabama. So we know Alabama is out there. Two-loss team. They're not going to be playing for an SEC championship. Clemson possibly will hang around. I just want to warn everyone about this because I know we've all seen Clemson. They do not look elite. They look like they could definitely lose another game, which that could certainly happen and that would knock them out. But they do only have one loss right now. Um, It's a bad one. It's a lopsided one to Notre Dame. But now Notre Dame is in the rankings. They're a top 20 team. And the game was on the road, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just saying, I'm just warning you guys that there is, is a way for Clemson to make this thing if there's a lot of chaos and they get some help in other places. But that was the team that we thought they were, that there was a massive drop-off between them and some of the other title contenders that we were looking at. The advanced statistics said that, and our eyeballs said that. And the quarterback controversy and issue reared its head, where you're pulling DJ Uyunglele again when things get bad, and then Kate Klubnik immediately put in a bad situation, immediately turns the ball over. It's a mess. And we're going to get into that in a second because Alabama and Clemson are also on the rocks. But I do think that there is a sense of relief and... It's refreshing to a lot of people to think about this. Alabama or Clemson or both played for the national title in the national championship game each of the last seven years. They've been in every, at least one of them has been in every iteration of the 14 playoff. It's been dominated. There is fatigue. There is Clemson and Alabama fatigue. And this is part of the reason that people wanted to expand the playoff because it was being dominated by the same couple teams. And it was a lot of... A lot of people that just couldn't engage, couldn't be part of it, couldn't access the playoff. So I, I think it's refreshing to think about a playoff, a four-team playoff, without Alabama and Clemson. If we're being honest, uh, the CFP rankings this year are the are, are a good case to be made against expanding the playoff <laughs> because we're not getting the same teams again. We're getting Tennessee in the mix. We're getting Oregon in the mix, TCU, uh, Michigan, UCLA. Uh, we're actually finally getting a little bit of that parody that we've actually never really had. So, 
oh well, I guess we have expansion coming anyway. That'll be fun. But you're right about the fatigue. It's it, it's fun. We we've talked all all year about how fun this season has been, and no offense to Clemson and Alabama, but seeing some new faces in that top eight or so is just fun. That gives hope to everybody. Who who imagined TCU being here coming into the year? They just mm-hmm. changed. They fired their coach last year. Who imagined mm-hmm. UCLA getting to this point? Tennessee, like this is the kind of thing that gives fans of every school hope. You're one good hire away from being in the playoff contention. So um, it's 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 been a fun it's been a fun start of the year. And again, we've seen the crowds. We've seen the ratings. A lot of people are getting into some of these teams and the emergences. And we talk about Blue Bloods and why, you know, it's better for the sport when some of them are good. Well, Tennessee, Georgia drew a ton of eyeballs. It outdrew the World Series. So Thir- yeah, 13 million. 13 million. Right, like these that. are massive numbers. Massive numbers. I was talking to an athletic director. It was one of the first things he brought up was just the 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 audiences that have been tuning into college football this year. It's just been crazy numbers, crazy numbers. So speaking of fun... Want to talk about Bo Nix. You just got back from Oregon. I know you spent some time digging around Bo Nix's story, which, again, is one of the great stories. I love the idea of some of these transfer quarterbacks finding the right fit, the right place, the right system, and having these incredible second acts. So Bo Nix is one of them. He is having fun. I don't want to do the whole meme. I'll let you do the whole meme. Don't take it from me. I wrote it in the notes because I want to be the one to say it. Okay, go ahead. Look, the bottom line is that this is the year Bo Nix has improved so much under this new offense. He is focused. He is having fun. I wouldn't be surprised if he's a dark horse for the Heisman. Look, I, I that that's the meme. If you're not on Twitter all the time, if you're a normal person, that's been a thing for several years where every year Bo Nix had a new offensive coordinator at Auburn and people thought, hey, like, maybe he's going to be really good this year. And, look, he was fine at Auburn. But I so I, I sat with him um, in the football building at Oregon this week, and I actually mentioned that same thing. I, he knows the meme. He, he, he did some NIL deals with it last year to raise some money for, for charity and stuff. Well, I was going to say, said, I was it- going to say, because I think Oregon's been putting out game notes and they say stuff like, Bo Nix is having fun. Oregon's just having fun. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so everybody, yeah. everybody's just winking. Everybody knows. Us. And he okay. knows. I, I said, does, I asked him, I asked him, I said, does it feel like the meme is coming true this year? And he laughed and it, it was true. Look, but we all is. remember But it is, that. Chris. The it meme is, is right. This he guy literally is right. having fun. He's smiling more than ever before. Uh, he got married in the summer. He's only taken a handful of classes. I've got a story coming later this week. It may or may not be up by the time you listen. Just about Bo Nix. We all remember the Georgia game. They lost 49-3. to And everybody wrote Oregon off for the playoff. Everybody wrote off Bo Nix and said he's still the same player that he was. Well, guess what? Oregon hasn't lost a game since then. Bo Nix has 35 total touchdowns and three interceptions since then. Oregon is number six in the rankings. And they are in the college football playoff conversation again. And it comes back to Nix and offense coordinator Kenny Dillingham, who was his OC at, at Auburn his first year. Um, just the sense I got from him was getting away. He, like, he loves Auburn. He grew up around there. His dad played there. He loves Auburn, has no ill will. But getting out from that, getting away from his family, from his friends, and going to a completely new place in the Pacific Northwest, that change of scenery really made a big difference for him. And you're seeing it. This Oregon team is scoring 40 points a game at at ease. They've got a big game against Washington on Saturday. But this Oregon offense has been absolutely electric. It's everything that they hoped it would be. And the bottom line is, yeah, the Bo Nix is having fun. Yes, you love to see it. And also love that memes come true in real life. You know that's one of my favorite things that could possibly ever happen. So excited to read that. Um, Make sure you read it on The Athletic this week, Chris's story on Bo Nix. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10 
$10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time to to discuss uh, some rocky relationships. Time for On the Rocks. Time to talk it out. There is friction somewhere in this sport, and we are here to help work through it. This week's rocky relationship, let's start with the place that fired a coach this week. So USF moves on from Jeff Scott. Chris, what happened? Yeah, another week, another coach fired. This one not at all unexpected. Jeff Scott had four wins in his tenure at USF. Only one of those was against an FBS opponent. And it opens up uh, one of the most interesting jobs in the group of five, or what is the future group of five? Look, Scott, Jeff Scott was like, felt like the perfect fit on paper. He spent a long time at Clemson, understood how that program was built. He's got, he's from Florida. He's got a lot of ties. His dad was a longtime Florida state coach. He would have the recruiting chops. He was Clemson's recruiting coordinator. Like it all lined up perfectly. And it was just a complete disaster. It never worked. 2020 COVID year was his first season. Things never clicked. They brought in Jerry Bohannon, the Baylor transfer quarterback this year. Didn't make a difference. They almost beat Florida somehow. But nothing has really gone well for them. And so he's fired. He's the first coach ever at USF to not win eight games in a season. Um, and he didn't even get to eight wins total. And that that's the key right there because – Everybody has won at this job. They paid him more than $2 million. They just opened a new indoor practice facility. There is a lot to like about the potential for this job, especially in an American athletic conference that doesn't have Cincinnati, UCF, uh, and Houston to compete with. But also, it's basically at rock bottom right now, and a lot is going to need to change. You would think that this would be one of the jobs that people would want, right, though, if this is a place that's historically successful in a great recruiting area? Yeah. Look, there, there's two group of five or three group of five jobs open right now, USF, UAB, and Charlotte. The sense I get from talking to people is that UAB is the more appealing job because it's more ready-made for success. They won't pay as much, but they pay pretty good. They've got the new facilities that are only a few years old. They've got a new stadium. They've won two championships in the last couple of years. Uh, so I, I think that's it. And they're moving into the American as well next year with conference realignment. So I think UAB is first because it's more ready-made. But USF has more potential, for sure. They used to be in a power conference. They used to be ranked number two at, at one point in 2007. But the problem was, you know, when, when Jim Levitt was there, they were getting 50,000 fans a game. Like, they were wow. really building something there. They were, they were rolling, but they didn't invest in it, and they didn't build the infrastructure behind it. And then when Jim Levitt gets fired for allegedly hitting a player, Skip Holtz comes in and everything kind of unravels. They had a brief you know blip with Willie Taggart and Charlie Strong winning 10 games, but other than that, they've only got four, win, four winning seasons in the last 12 years. Uh, it's a place with a lot of potential, but really has a lot of ground to make up. Absolutely. So the other rocky relationship or uncomfortable place uh, that we're in is unfamiliar territory because, again, we were just talking about this, the fact that we are staring at a playoff that we may very well have without Alabama, without Clemson. These have been dueling dynasties for a long time in college football. They have dominated the college football playoff era to date. They did it in different ways. We've seen Nick Saban adapt. We've seen him replace 
and replenish his coaching staff over and over, use the transfer portals to plug star players. We've seen the offense evolve. We've seen all of these different things. Clemson, we saw the continuity with Dabo staff for so much of this run. Now he's had his coordinators go out. Jeff Scott was one of them. The first one to leave the nest. Now you have Brent Venables at Oklahoma, Tony Elliott at Virginia. Dabo doubles down, promotes from within, doesn't use the portal, doesn't like NIL, doesn't like some of the things that college football is built on right now, and I think is mismanaging this quarterback position in all of this as well. My question to you, Chris, is... Like, things are uncomfortable in both places. Sky is falling, right? If you, if you talk to certain pockets of the fan base in both of these places, sky is falling. What do we do? We're not used to being in this place. Which program are you more concerned about? Like, not just right now, this week, ending this season, but, like, big picture. And maybe you're not concerned about either, but do you have one that pops up between the two? Well, I'm more concerned about Clemson because this is the first time – after reaching the mountaintop that Davo Sweeney needs to change things. And we don't know if he's going to, we were like Alabama pre Lane Kiffin and post Lane Kiffin are two very, yes. very different programs. Yes. Like Nick Saban saw what Johnny Manziel did his defense and decided, all right, we got to change up how we do everything here. Offensively and defensively went out and hired Lane Kiffin. And suddenly Alabama's sudden getting the top quarterback recruits every year, putting guys in the NFL, stuff like that. And they just so, – so we've seen Alabama adjust. That's why I have more concerns about Clemson because what, what happens when you lose your coordinators and you lose some other things? Dabo just doubled down, tripled down. He promoted guys from within for almost every spot on the staff, still not jumping big in the portal. Uh and and so so I don't know if Al, I don't know if Clemson has the killer instinct if if Sweeney has a killer instinct to do what needs to be done to get back to where they were. They're still a very good program. They're not they're not falling out of the top twenty five or anything like that. But to to get to national championship games, which is what the standard is now, there uh, they don't have that. And Clemson and Alabama both have a similar situation was they just don't really have as many dudes at the skill position like they used to. There is not a Travis Etienne. There is not a Jamison Williams at Alabama. This Alabama team is really lacking in wide receivers and skill players. And if not for adding Jameer Gibson, Georgia tech, poor Bryce young would be carrying this entire offense on his back. Uh, Aaron Suttles, our, our colleague is really good stuff out on Wednesday about Alabama's receiving numbers their yards after catch yards per pass uh, yards per attempt and stuff like that is way down to uh compared to what it has been for a long time they just they don't have those massive guys and i gotta say i said in the offseason after jameer gibbs went to alabama i said alabama's never going to be down again because in the era of the portal they can fill every single hole they want to fill but they may have more holes than we thought despite this great recruiting and so there are not concerns, but but the, the idea that you're going to be a juggernaut every year at Alabama is maybe not what it was anymore. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I also think, you know, we've talked about it or I've thought about it this way of like future future first round receivers, future first round wideouts. And that's what Alabama's had as it's evolved, as Nick Saban has been adapting to where the game is. That's why I am not that concerned about Alabama because, yes, I mean, you know, we saw Brian Kelly get his first win over Nick Saban. We've seen Tennessee figure some stuff out and get back up into that that top echelon of college football. Georgia is the team to beat the gold standard in the SEC and, and probably the country right now, right? Like, you have Georgia all of has, Georgia has, yeah, Georgia has built Georgia what Alabama is, was. Yes, Georgia is that team now. Absolutely. But Alabama's not going anywhere, but the question is, we know that Nick Saban has adapted. That's actually his, maybe his best quality that we don't talk about enough. And I think we do talk about it, but it cannot be overstated. He is adapted over the course of his career. And the Lane Kiffin hire, I think, is a great example of that. And I think the question then is, can Dabo do that? Can Dabo adapt? Can he adjust? Can he change if you're falling behind? And 
if you're not going to go into the portal, if you're not going to really fully embrace NIL and some of these other things, I, I just, I wonder, you know, can he do that? Can he do that? Was it, you know, a special combination of the staff that he had and the time that it was in college football, right? In this little time capsule of, of the Clemson dynasty, or is it something that can adapt and grow and be relevant in 2023 and beyond? So like, I, I think that is more of an existential question than Alabama, which is, you know, the, the standard is just so, so high that we're all freaking out a little bit about two losses and it's not even mid November because we just don't see that, but it's so hard for both of those programs to have done what they did at the level they did it for so long. And I think that that's what this speaks to. And it was just sort of poetic that they both lost and had the field stormed on them um, on the same night, you know, as we're having this season when we're talking about a lot of different teams and other programs kind of rising up. And, you know, I'm going to throw it out there. I mean, the transfer portal has allowed some of the teams that we're talking about. You just talked about Bo Nix. We talked about some of these places where – I do think you are going to see, and it's not going to be the only reason there's parity, but it's going to contribute to that because you're going to see some of those players who maybe were sitting on the bench somewhere bigger, going somewhere else and doing something special. So I don't know if that contributes, how much that contributes, but I do think it is an element as we talk about kind of the the emergence of some of these surprise teams and some of the parity across college football you know Tennessee is led by a transfer quarterback Oregon is led by a transfer quarterback USC is led by a transfer quarterback and a bunch of other transfers LSU. right LSU LSU just beat Alabama so it's it's a factor yeah I I I, I kind of just mentioned it but I, you know I've always said the transfer portal is a two-way street but I always thought that meant Alabama's going to be able to pick off whoever they want to fill their holes. You know who doesn't have a lot of transfers? You know who didn't take a single transfer in the last cycle? And you know who made sure to say that? Kirby Smart in yep. Georgia. Yep, yep, yep. That 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 is a sign of proper evaluation, of proper recruiting, and of proper development. You have to have all three of those things. Kirby Smart likes to say after every big win about how big this is going to be with recruiting. He knows that's the number one thing to do. But there is another step between recruiting and development. And I know Ari's not here on this podcast to hear me say this, but Alabama can get all the five-star receivers it can. There's a difference between five-star receiver and first-round NFL pick. And that is what Alabama is missing right now. And I think that's where you see their struggles this season. And look, when Bryce Young is gone next year, quarterback situation, I don't know. We're going to have to see. He is masked. And made up for a lot because even we're talking about the losses that they have had. I mean, how many more would they have had without Bryce Young over the last two years? Right. I mean, I he carried. I, a, he 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 won the Auburn game last he year. He won the Texas drive. game. He won the Texas game this year. Like so that's at least two. Bryce Young has covered up a lot. Yes. Yeah. And and again, and that's why he should stay in the Heisman Trophy conversation, even though Alabama has two losses. Because. That's- that's take, why I want. That's why I want my Detroit Lions to draft him if he's available. <laughs> right. I mean, he's he is a special, special, special player. But yeah, I mean, that's absolutely part of it. And when you when you think of when you have coaches talking about using the portal, especially if they're a new coach and or using it to supplement the roster, but that they want to build it through recruiting high school players. The the example that you're all trying to strive to be is Georgia right now, where you are recruiting talented players evaluating them correctly identifying that they're great fits for your program and then developing them when they get to campus and then you don't have to make changes you don't have to adapt you don't have to worry about these things so um it's going to be very interesting i think for both of those programs uh as we get into the off season again just about whether or not Dabo Sunny can change and what nick saban's got up his sleeve as he continues to adapt um it is time for last call we're going to wrap up the show here with a cheers or a jeers um, this is can be a positive thing. It can be something we want to rant about. It's whatever you might be discussing or thinking about as the bar is closing and you're getting your final drinks, final round, last call. Chris, I will let you go first. All right. I'm going to go first here. My cheers is for the Ohio Bobcats. Shout out to the Mac, Tim Albin. The Bobcats are seven and three. After beating Miami of Ohio on Tuesday night, their 13th win in 16 uh, games against uh, Miami of Ohio, their rival. This team went 3-9 and nine this year. Now remember, Tim Albin took over because Frank Solis retired in the summer. 
due to health issues. And Al- Albin had been with Frank Solich the whole time, and you're thinking, oh, he's just going to slide in and keep doing what Frank Solich did, and they'll be fine. Ohio's one of the most consistent teams in the MAC. No, the bottom fell out under them last year. They were terrible. And so there was a lot of question coming in. Is Tim Albin on the hot seat? Um, and we, we didn't really know what was coming in. Somebody I trust in the industry told me, and I wrote it in our preseason coaching tiers that I wrote with Matt Fortuna. Someone smart told me Ohio's going to have a bounce back year, and they have very much had a bounce back year. Like I said, seven and three, one loss in MAC play. They're leading the MAC East. Their game against Bowling Green, their regular season finale, maybe for the division title on the line right there. Um, but the player to watch with Ohio is Curtis Rourke. If an, if an Ohio quarterback named Rourke sounds familiar, that's because he's the younger brother of Nathan Rourke, uh, who was Ohio quarterback for, for seemingly forever. Rourke has 24 touchdown passes, four interceptions. He's top 10 in the country in passing yards per game, yards per attempt, QB rating. Um, and also Nathan Rourke, by the way, is leading the BC Lions in the CFL playoffs. I don't remember if they won or lost their last game. So we've got a kind of Canadian Manning Brothers situation going on. Uh, with with Ohio quarterbacks, so shout out to the Bobcats. Well, I'm excited for the um, their their special second screen watching of the uh, MAC championship game if Ohio's not in it or whatever might that, end up that, happening. That's exactly what Jeremy Guy from the MAC uh, <laughs> wanted to do. He, he wants to get some sort of Rourke cast together for, yes. for something. It's like Rourke's on Roku or something. You could you could uh, make yeah. it a alliteration. Player- Curtis Rourke, remember that name, maybe the MAC Offensive Player of the Year. Um, one of the fun things about the MAC and MACTION, as now we are in MACTION season, is that that league, those teams are always very close to each other. Um, and you, you really don't know where it's going to go down the home stretch. Okay, my last call. We're going full circle. We opened the show with this, and I got to rant about it. We got to circle back to it. Schools need to stop extending coaches who may not even make a bowl game this year. Like, what are we doing? This industry is broken. The system is broken. I understand that there's always going to be boosters who are going to pay buyouts. I understand all of that. But this year alone, in the last couple of months, we had Nebraska fire a coach three weeks ahead of a time where they would have paid $7 million less to do the same thing. And now you have Eli Drinkwitz getting a 50% pay raise. He is under 500 in his career at Missouri and has an incredibly hefty buyout. It doesn't make sense. It's not going to make sense. It's not going to get reined in. So this is why it's a rant because no one is going to fix this. But the system is broken. The system is broken and it's really frustrating to continually see schools who are not even in a bidding war, who do not need to do these things, these fiscally irresponsible decisions, and they continue to do it. And then it puts them in a tougher situation when you need to pay a buyout or you need to make a decision later on. Um, I mean, we've had a lot of conversations on this podcast feed about Jimbo Fisher and what happens when you sign someone to a massive guaranteed contract and how it handcuffs you from doing things that you need that person to do and have any leverage in that situation. And it's just incredibly frustrating to watch this happen and the the system is just broken and and that's just what i keep coming back to and so i know we already talked about this topic but i just had to close on it too because it is so frustrating you know i always think back to a story that you and i wrote early in the covid time it was specifically about coaching salaries and buyouts and everything and he had a bunch of ad's telling us you know i think this might be the thing that reigns this in people aren't going to have as much money you know, funds are going to be different. Everything's going to be different moving forward in how we run an athletic department. And we talked to an agent who was like, no, this is going to do the opposite. This is going to make football even more important because football is the only one that makes money in the athletic department. And guess what? Later that year, Auburn paid 20-something million dollars to yeah. fire Gus Malzahn. And um, uh, ten, uh, South Carolina paid 15 or something million dollars to fire Will Muschamp. And here we are. And I always think back to when Brady Hoke got the Michigan job. He he may have even said he would have crawled from San Diego to Michigan to take that job. He would have worked for free. You could have given him a million dollars, but they didn't. 
They gave him three million or four million, whatever it was, because that's what the head coach of Michigan should make, and that's what the agent, I think Trace Armstrong was his agent, was the guy who who made that happen. The market is not determining these deals, the, these values. It's a uh, fake market because the players can't get any of the money. And also, it's a market completely driven on fear. Where was Eli Drinkwitz going to go? Some Missouri fans want him gone. He recruited a good class last year. It hasn't gone that great since. He's gone 5-5, five and 6-7, five, and 4-5. and five. Maybe that's are the also, ceiling at Missouri. I mean, there are also ways to extend a coach for recruiting reasons without... You know, Without doubling their salary or, you know, it, increasing their you salary know who by did 50%. That? You know who did that last year? USF and Jeff Scott. They gave him a contract extension for public purposes that did not change the buyout. And then they fired him nine games into the well, next season. That's, it can be that's, done. It can be done. It can be done. Schools need to be smarter. Um, agents versus schools is an incredibly lopsided battle. And it's just a symptom of a bigger problem. And it is... Very frustrating uh, for those of us in and around the industry, and I think for fans as well. Missouri basically admitted we gave him this money because we don't want to look like a poverty program in the SEC. Yes. That's basically what it was. Well, all again, all you had to do is just when you have a field storm and the goalposts come down is just not ask for a GoFundMe. That's all That's all you had to do, Missouri. I mean, you could do that. I mean, you... Uh, I'm surprised we haven't had any schools go fund me to buy out a coach. Oh my God. Now that you put that in the universe, that, that someone is going to do it. That, that would someone raise some money. is going to do that now. Now they, instead it was just texts and now it's going to be a public go fund me. And I'm going to blame you the first, we are going to see that. And I'm going to blame you for that happening. We will wrap up power hour on that point. Very depressing that there will be a GoFundMe at some point to pay a coach's buyout. It will hundred percent happen. But that will do it for this week's Power Hour. For Chris Vanini, I'm Nicole Auerbach. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next Thursday.